All right. Hello, Christ community. So glad that you are here. Greetings to our West Campus that meets at Northridge High School. I was just out there last week for our service there. Loved it. You guys are doing a great job and uh, really rocking it out there. Also, greetings to our traditions venue and to those watching online or on our app. We're glad all of you are joining us. Okay, so a few weeks ago was my birthday, and uh, one of the gifts I received was a new watch. Uh, my wife and my in-laws went together to buy me this Fitbit Blaze, which I'm, I'm wearing right now. And I didn't really know much about this watch, um, but I love this thing, okay? It measures your activity during the day and how how much you're get, how much sleep you're getting at night. It tracks my heart rate. It, it tracks how far I go on a bike ride or a walk. It tracks how many miles I've gone on my elliptical. It tracks how many calories I've burned. It measures the number of steps I've taken. And whenever I hit 10,000 in a day, it vibrates and does this really cool, colorful thing. You know, it's really, really fun. Um, I did hit 10,000 today, by the way. Um, so, uh, but but I, I love how it encourages life by valuing movement and activity and, and energy and engagement, all those things. So a few days ago, I remembered that along with this gift, I got this, I was given this thing called an IQ shield. And the IQ shield is this protective cover that's specifically designed for my, my watch, for this Fitbit Blaze. And so I thought, you know, I probably ought to put that on uh, my watch to protect it. Now, I assumed this would be a fairly simple process. Boy, was I wrong. Uh, the, this IQ shield is serious stuff. I mean, they, you pull out the instructions. They have a list of like nine things you're supposed to do. And it begins with an instructional video on YouTube, um, probably with a test at the end. I don't know. And in the box, they actually have this liquid that you pull out in this vial thing. You're supposed to wash any oils off of your hands, and then you have to clean the screen multiple times. I felt like I was in a military training exercise or something. I mean, so after reading through this list of all that I had to do to protect this thing, I just totally got demotivated. <laughs> I was totally demotivated. I just completely gave up. And I, and I thought to myself, this is crazy, right? Here is this amazing device, this watch that is designed to encourage activity and, and engagement in life. And yet, if I want to try and protect it, I actually experience the opposite. I experience frustration and, and a lack of motivation. And so in the midst of this frustration I was experiencing, I realized this is exactly the same dynamic that often happens in our desire for community, in our desire for relational connectedness. We are in a teaching series where we're talking about the importance of experiencing community, how vital it is to our spiritual and our physical and our emotional health. I mean, community is like a Fitbit, right? It is life-giving, it is energizing, it is engaging, but there is a tendency in all of us, there's a tendency in all of our hearts to try and protect ourselves from it. We, we, we end up trying to put on this relational IQ shield that actually causes us to miss out on the life that that community can bring into our lives. And so today, I want us to look at this very real issue that keeps us from experiencing genuine community, that keeps us from experiencing relational connectedness with others. And it, now, in order to understand this dynamic, 
We need to go all the way back to the beginning. We need to go back to creation, to where our experience of humanity began. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, we are given this amazing description of our origin as humans, of why we are the way we are. And we learned that God created Adam first, and Adam was given the provision of the Garden of Eden. So he was given all the wonderful provisions there. He was given a job to do. He had responsibility. He had an intimate relationship with God. I mean, he had everything he needed, right? Everything was good except for one thing. God says, it is not good for man to be alone, which is fascinating when you think about it. Adam had a relationship with God, a very close one. And yet God said, that's not enough. You need other people. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say, oh, all I need is God. I don't need church. I don't need, you know, all I need is God. Just God in me. That's all I need. That's not really true. Yes, God is our first love. He is our life. Yes, our trust is in, is in him. But God himself says that in order to be healthy and in order to be like him, we need something else as well. We need community. In order to be like God, in order to be whole and healthy, we need community. And so God creates Eve. And Adam is very happy, okay? He is very happy. Um, He's no longer alone. He has someone like him. He has another human being. Instead of all the animals he had, now he has another human being. And more than that, she is to be his wife. And so Genesis 2 describes this beautiful oneness from the beginning, this beautiful oneness that God has created them to experience in the context of marriage. This is where it began. This, This lifelong, they are to leave their mother and father and cleave right? It is this lifelong commitment, this covenant relationship. It is this oneness of body and soul. And so we see here that that sex, our sexuality, sex is a God-given gift to be enjoyed in the context of this committed love relationship known as marriage. That's where it was designed to be experienced. So sex is this this powerful and soul-uniting expression of committed and covenantal love. Okay, so that's the context in which we then come to this very important verse. Verse 25 of chapter 2. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, we could have some interesting e-group homework this week, okay? But, um, but seriously, th- this is an amazing statement that has to do with so much more than sexuality. So much more. Here, here, here are Adam and Eve in this perfect environment of God's provision and God's presence. It is a perfect environment. They are the only two humans on the planet. And notice what characterizes their relationship. They were both naked and they felt no shame. They were not hiding. They were not protecting themselves. They were not putting up a false front to try and impress each other. They were being real. See, this verse is so profound and it is so important because of what it says about us as humans. This verse is not simply about being free to run around naked or whatever. No, no, no. What this verse is saying, this is before the fall, okay? What this verse is saying is that there is a good, pure, holy longing within all of us to be known. 
There is a good, holy longing within all of us to be known. At the core of our being as humans is a desire to be known and to be loved. No pretending, no faking, no posturing, no protecting. We long to be known for who we truly are and to be loved in that place. This is why we can be around lots of people and have lots of Facebook friends and even be in a small group and yet still feel lonely. It's because this this wiring for community is not simply about being in proximity to people. It's not. This wiring for community is about being known by people. Being known. It's not just about being in proximity to. It's, it's about being known by people. I remember being in a pastor's group, a kind of a small group of pastors years ago, and, and, and we met regularly, and we, kind of, and we knew each other, it, 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 a lot of things about each other and all that. But at our meetings, everyone would just share about how wonderful their church was doing and how great they were doing, right, and all those things. And no one wanted to admit that their church was struggling or that they weren't doing well emotionally or whatever. It was just, it was all superficial, and it wasn't very life-giving, It wasn't very life-giving. I can't help but compare that to another group that I'm currently in. So four of us pastors meet once a month and we share openly, we share honestly. Things like, man, I'm I'm not doing well loving my wife or I'm I'm struggling with porn or I'm battling depression or I'm feeling bitter towards this person who hurt me or my adult child is not walking with God or I'm not sure I wanted to keep doing this pastor thing. We're being real. And it is so life-giving. See, every one of us here, every one of us longs for a place like that. We long for a place, a relational place, where we can be real, where we can be known. And God has given us this longing. This is not a weakness. This is the way we were created. God has given us this longing, which is all good. It's all good. This longing is good. But unfortunately, something happened in the garden that caused us, that caused this longing to be overshadowed by another reality. So into this perfect environment of the Garden of Eden, our enemy slithered in and he tempted Adam and Eve to do the unthinkable to do the unthinkable, to actually rebel against their loving creator, against the one who had provided all this for them, to do the unthinkable, to actually say no to him. It was unthinkable. But they bit. They bit Satan's lie. They bit, and everything changed. So suddenly, this perfect community and this relational connectedness that they had with each other, immediately it was infiltrated with sin. It was infiltrated with self-centeredness rather than other-centeredness. And the, I mean, the change in the relational environment at that moment, the change was immediate and it was dramatic. Look at verse 7. This is the saddest verse in the whole Bible right here. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. This is so sad. Instead of the freedom of knowing and being known that they had before, now they're filled with shame. Self-consciousness and self-awareness had infiltrated their relationship, driving out authenticity and love. 
So what did they do in response? They buy an IQ shield, right? That's what they do. They made fig leaf coverings for themselves. So rather than choosing to be known, they chose to protect themselves and to hide. And we've been hiding ever since. We've been hiding ever since. This is the reality. This is our reality in our relational world. This is what sin has done to our relational world. It makes us self-protective, self-conscious, self-centered, which results in us hiding. We hide behind what is often referred to, and I think it's a really helpful term. We hide behind this false self it's our false self. See, our false self is the self we want other people to see. The, the self that always looks good and that is always happy and always feels good and it's always successful and it's always together and it always has everything in, the, in control, right? That's, that's the self that we're desperately wanting people to see. It's a false self, but it's, we want people to see that. Now, social media enables us to take this to a whole new level by making it really easy to pretend. It is really easy to hide behind this social media persona that we subconsciously or we consciously create. So we only post the pictures of us that make us look good or young or, or athletic or rugged. Look at me on this difficult hike. Uh, look at me with these really attractive people. Or look at me with my wonderful looking children. You know, we, we, and then, then we carefully craft our words so that we appear really clever and really funny. What we're really doing, what we're really doing is managing our image. We're managing our image. We're controlling what other people see. And social media, I mean, it often feels safer than face-to-face -face relationships. It feels safer because it enables us to hide behind this persona or behind an anonymous username, feeling safe because no one really knows who we are. And see, this is, this, is, this is exactly our struggle as human beings in all of our relationships and all of our relational context, not just via social media. This is, our, this is our life, folks. This is our struggle. We long to be known on one hand. We long to be known. We long to be real, to let people see, know the real us. We long for that. We long for relationships where we can be honest about how we're feeling and how we're doing. And we not put up masks and all. We, we long just to be real and to be honest and authentic with what we're struggling with, without shame. We long for that experience of community, and yet we resist it at the same time. <laughs> we resist it at the same time. See the struggle. This is the struggle. It's, there's Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, right? And we're just in that place of being created to be known, and yet we got to protect ourselves. So, so let me just ask here, what are your fig leaves? What do you hide behind to keep other people from really knowing you? Is it your looks? Is it your intelligence? Is it your Bible knowledge? Is it your busyness? Is it your indifference? Eh, whatever. Is it your pride? What keeps you from really being known by other people? What are your fig leaves? 
That's a really important question. Really important. Because some of us here, honestly, some of us here have perfected a life of relational proximity without really being known. We have perfected this. We have perfected a life of relational proximity. We're around a lot of people, but never really being known. We're around lots of people, but we're always hiding behind our protective shields. Do you, do you have a small group of people who really know you? Not just know what your hobbies are and what your you know, favorite sports team is and not just what your business is doing, all that. Are you in a small group of people who know you, who really know you, who know what you struggle with, who, who know what fears you have, what dreams you long for? Years ago, years ago, I read a book, I um, can't remember the name of it, um, by, I think John Powell was the author's name, but in this book, he described four levels of communication, and I think these are so helpful, I come back to these again and again, because they're so helpful in getting us thinking about how we are interacting with people, the, in thinking about the depth and evaluating the depth of our relationships with other people. So here, level one, level one in his system, or whatever his paradigm is, cliche, okay, how you doing? Doing fine. How's the weather? You know, it's just the Broncos, whatever, you know, it's just very superficial. It's the kind of talk that happens around those tables at the wedding, rece at wedding receptions, right? You know what I'm talking about. When you don't know people, it's just this cliche um, kind of thing. That's level one. Okay, level two is the level of facts or information. Where do you work? Where do you live? Are you married? If so, do you have children? How long have you lived in your house? All those things. This is the level of factual information. Now, to go a little bit deeper than level two, it involves wading into level three, which is the level of values or opinions. What do you think about that? What do you believe about that? Who are you going to vote for and why? Why do you believe? What do you believe about this situation? What is your opinion? See, in, in an e-group environment, this would include Bible study discussions. What do you think about this passage? What's standing out to you in this passage? How is this passage challenging you? And this level is certainly, it's certainly going deeper than level one and level two. I mean, this is going deeper. But here's the deal. A lot of groups, a lot of marriages, a lot of relationships stop right at this level. They stop right at this level. They never go any deeper than the sharing of values, the sharing of thoughts, opinions, information. And the problem is they never really experience genuine community. Because genuine community involves consistently getting to level four, which is the, the, the disclosing of feelings. The disclosing of feelings. How are you really doing? How do you feel? See, in this level, we open up our heart to each other. We, 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 what, we're, what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. We are allowing ourselves to be known. We are allowing others into our hearts, which is huge. This is huge. It is so important. It is where God wants us to go relationally. It's where he wants us to go. Now, how do we know that? <laughs> right? How do we know God wants us to go here? We see it actually in Genesis 3. 
We, we see it in Genesis 3. Um, notice his response. This is God's response to Adam in Genesis 3. So this is right after Adam and Eve sinned, okay? Right after they covered themselves, all that stuff they're going on, that, that's going on, they're hiding and all that. God goes to Adam and he asks a very powerful question. Genesis 3, verse 9. Look at this, look at this question. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? Folks, this was not a GPS question, okay? God was not, oh, I lost Adam, where is he? You know, this was not a geographical question. God knew exactly where Adam was. This is a level four question. Where are you? Where, where is your heart right now? What are you feeling? What are you experiencing? The good, the bad, the ugly here. What, what are you experiencing, Adam? See, let, let, me, let me ask, where in your relational world, where in your relational, relational world are there people who are asking you that question? Who are asking you those kinds of questions? And where are you answering them truthfully? Truthfully. Even if we're in an e-group, are we going to level four of that group? I mean, let's be honest. A lot of times in our groups, we don't get to level four. So here's a typical scenario in an e-group. After finishing the Bible study, the leader says something like, hey, are there any prayer requests? <clears throat> and someone says, hey, please pray for my dad. He's 87 years old. He's battling dementia. And that, that's great. This person shared that request. That's great. So what level is that communication at? It's level two. Okay, information, important information, but, but it's just information. So then let's say someone else in the group asks, oh, well, so how's your mom doing with your dad's situation? I think she's doing okay. I think she's doing okay, but I can tell it's really hard for her. I'm not sure how much longer she can care for him. Okay, so what level is that? That's level three, level of opinion and beliefs. They're, they're going deeper, going deeper, and that's good. It's good, it's really good. But here's the problem. So many groups stop right there. They stop right there. Okay, let's pray. <laughs> How many times do we stop at level three, either as the one sharing or the group responding? We stop at level three. See, for some of us, for some of us, that's as deep as we go. For some groups, they have stopped at that level for years. For years. Then they go to prayer. But when we do that, we are missing a crucial level. We're missing level four. See, what if someone in the group were to ask, so how are you feeling about your dad's dementia? That's hard. I hate to see him like this. I hate to see him deteriorate like this. The thought of losing him and how that will impact my mom. Man, it's so painful. I don't want to let him go. I don't want to let go of him, though. And so it's just so hard. See, suddenly, this person's heart is open. You can almost feel the shift in the spiritual atmosphere of the room. Now we're getting real. <laughs> Now we're getting to the heart. Now genuine community can happen. We're taking off our masks and we're being real. We're allowing ourselves to be known. I mean, this is holy ground in that moment. It is holy ground. Here is this person 
Here is this person who was saying to us, I want you to know me. I want you to know me. Even though this feels vulnerable, even though this feels risky, I want you to know what's really going on in my heart. See, biblical community is not measured in terms of how long a group has been meeting. 25 years, it's not measured by that. It's not measured by how many people come or even how deep we go in Bible study, even though those things are all important. Biblical community is fundamentally measured by this issue, the level to which we're being known. The level to which we're being known. I mean, the same four guys can meet for coffee for 20 years and never get beyond level three, which is really sad. Because I'm guessing every one of them is carrying burdens, secrets, struggles that they don't want to carry alone, but they're too afraid to go there. Too afraid to admit my marriage is not doing well. My drinking is out of control. I'm attracted to a woman at work who's not my wife. I'm so bitter at my former boss. I'm feeling so depressed. This time of year, I feel so depressed. They're not going there. 20 years, never get to level four. And they're all carrying burdens and a desire to really be known. Are you in a small group? Are you in a small group community where you can share at level four? where you can be real and be known. And if not, I urge you to move towards that kind of community. Our primary vehicle here for doing that, growing in that, is our e-groups. E-groups are small groups of people who meet regularly to embrace the gospel, experience the spirit, engage in mission. Our three core values, gospel, spirit, mission. So if you're not in an e-group, join one. Start one. There's information on our website, information in the lobby about that. If you are in an e-group, let's say you're in an e-group, how fully are you being known? In your group, and again, I'm talking to groups that have met for a little while. If you just started two weeks ago, you know, tuck this away and look at it in a few months or whatever. But in your group, in your, some, of, some of us are in groups we've been met for a long time. In your group, are you regularly sharing at level four? Or are you, and I'm talking about you looking at our own lives, each of us individually, or are you staying where it's comfortable at level two and three, sharing your opinions? Oh, here's what I think. Sharing your thoughts, sharing biblical insights, sharing information, sharing prayer requests about other people you know, but not really opening up your heart. So no one in your group really knows, where are you? Where are you? For all of us here, how often are we hiding behind our false self? This image we're trying to project, how often are we hiding behind our fig leaves rather than allowing ourselves to be known and experiencing genuine community? Okay, so all this sounds good, right? All this sounds good, but how do we grow in this? How do we move beyond our fig leaves and our false selves so that we can really be more authentic with others, so that we can be known? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to look a, look a bit more deeply at this question of why. Why do we hide behind our false selves? What keeps us pretending and protecting? Well, we see the answer in Genesis 3, verse 10, where Adam responds to God's question. Where are you? Look at verse 10. This is, this is so important. 
But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Why is Adam hiding? It's fear. It's fear. He says, I was afraid, so I hid. This is the root reason we hide and hide behind our false selves. This is the root reason. We're afraid of being known. We're afraid of looking weak. We're afraid that if people knew our real struggles, they wouldn't accept us. They wouldn't like us. They wouldn't want to hang out with us. See, that's what shame does in our hearts. Remember in Genesis 2.25, it said they were both naked and they felt no shame. But now in Genesis 3, they have lots of shame. They have lots of shame. So what is shame? Well, shame is this belief that we carry. It started with Adam and Eve. It's a belief we carry at the core of our being that says, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. There's something wrong with me. I'm the only one who struggles with depression. I'm the only one here who struggles with anxiety. I'm the only one who's had an abortion. I'm the only one who feels lonely. I'm the only one who struggles with same-sex attraction. I'm the only one who doesn't feel close to God. I'm a horrible Christian, and I can't let anyone know about the real me. So, so I've got to keep up this false front. I've got, to, I've got to maintain this false self because I'm afraid of being known. Now, initially, again, it feels safe. Initially, it feels safe to do this, to keep up our false front. It feels safe, right? But what, what we often don't realize, this is so important, what we often don't realize is the relational damage. We often don't realize that it actually hinders, this shame that we carry hinders our relational connectedness, our experience of connectedness. And let me give an example, a very personal <clears throat> example. There was a season in my marriage to Raylene where we were not communicating very well. We were not communicating very deeply. When she would ask me, I'd come home, she'd ask me, how was your day? I would say, it was fine, and then leave it at that. <clears throat> Inwardly, I was really waiting for her to ask me more questions, to pursue my heart more. Why? Because deep down, I didn't believe that anyone really wanted to know me. And so I, and I carried this fear, I carried this shame. So I withdrew in order to protect myself. So when she stopped asking after one or two questions, it just confirmed what I felt in my heart. I'm not worth being known. She's not even asking me any more questions. She doesn't really want to know me. Just confirmed that. Now here's the irony. When I would respond to Raylene's, how was your day? When I would respond to that question with a quick, it was fine. Guess what she felt in her heart? He doesn't want to talk to me. He doesn't want to talk to me. I'm not worth that to him. And I don't, I don't really have anything to offer him. You know, he can talk about his day, but he's been to seminary and all this stuff. I don't have anything to offer him, right? Any insights or what? I don't have anything to offer him. So she would withdraw from me, feeling shame as well. So this dynamic, this dynamic was at play in our relationship for a long, long time. And we weren't even aware of it. It was, a, it was a play. We didn't even realize it. We just knew we weren't maybe connecting, but we didn't know what the dynamic was. We didn't realize the, the impact that shame and that fear were having in our relationship. I vividly remember the lunch conversation um, we had when we started to talk about our communication and just not going, what's up? And, we, and how we didn't feel like we were connecting. And God, God opened our eyes to see how in each of us, our shame 
was actually contributing to us withdrawing and not sharing more deeply about the other person. We both had our shields up, convinced that we weren't worthy enough to be known. We weren't worthy enough, and it, and it distanced us in our relationship for a long time. That, that's what our communication was like that for a long time. That's what fear and shame do. That's what they do. They keep us hiding behind our fig leaves. We're afraid to let our real selves be known, and so, so we hide, and we end up relationally lonely and disconnected because of it. So if fear and shame are the, at the root of our hiding, how do we deal with those things? <clears throat> the answer is found a bit later in Genesis 3. Again, the, the problem and the answers are all in Genesis 3. It's amazing, really. These first three chapters are so amazing. Remember how Adam and Eve, <clears throat> after they sinned, they sewed fig leaves together to hide themselves, right? That's definitely not a long-term solution, right? I mean, the first rain is going to be brutal, right? I mean, it's just bad. Fig leaves, rain, just bad. So, so, so they had this, this patchwork attempt, this temporary fix to their shame. Well, into this situation, God comes to them. He comes to them. And he does something so powerful. Look at verse 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. This is so, so cool. I mean, it's just like our God, right? He's just good, loving God. Even after they rebelled against him and after they had messed everything up, he comes to them, he comes to them and he, he ministers to their feelings of shame by providing more permanent clothing. I mean, garments of skin for them to wear. And this is just an amazing thing. This is a beautiful thing that is, shows so much of God's heart. But what does this have to do with us? This is really important. Th think about what God had to do in order to provide them with garments of skin. He had to sacrifice an animal. He had to kill an innocent animal in order to provide a covering for Adam and Eve to help them deal with their fear and their shame. Now, as with many other things in the book of Genesis, this practical response by God points powerfully to his overall plan in the future, how he plans to deal with our shame, which is also through a blood sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God, went to a cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He was innocent, and yet he gave his life for us, dying in our place. Now, in the book of Isaiah, which was written centuries before Jesus was born, the, the sacrifice is described in a very interesting way. Look at Isaiah 61, verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. Same verse, is in, same word is in Genesis 3. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. Notice how God's salvation is experienced, like clothing. Like clothing. Isaiah uses the same word used in Genesis 3. When we place our trust in Jesus as God's sacrificial lamb, as the sacrifice for our sins, we are at that moment, we are clothed in his righteousness, not in our performance. We are clothed in his righteousness, not ours, not our performance. We are permanently clothed, get this, we are permanently clothed in his unconditional love. Wow. And what does this kind of love do in our lives? It casts out fear, right? Verse John 4, 10, perfect love casts out fear. 
then we read my favorite, my favorite verses, Romans 8, 15. Look at, look at this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. It's not about living in fear. Rather, the spirit you received when you trusted Jesus, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Daddy, Abba, Father. No longer slaves to fear, because in Christ, we are beloved children. We are clothed with his permanent, unending love. And it is that love that enables us to experience community. Here's the connection. It enables us to experience community. Because we are completely known and completely loved by God, we can stop hiding behind our false selves, trying to impress each other. And instead, we can actually be real with each other. We can admit our struggles. We can open up our hearts and allow ourselves to be known more deeply by others. We can renounce the lies that we've believed that have caused us to hide. I mean, during that season in my relationship with Raylene, where, where we were struggling in our communication, it was the love of Jesus that enabled us to renounce the lie that I had believed that no one would want to get to know me. That's a lie, but I had believed it. It was the love of Jesus that enabled me to renounce that lie. And Raylene could renounce the lie that she had believed about herself, that she wasn't worth talking to and had nothing to offer. Those are lies. See, by bringing those lies to the cross and opening our hearts to the truth of who we are in Jesus as his beloved children, we, will, we were actually able to move towards each other. We renounced the lies. We recognized the lies we were believing. We were able to move towards each other and be known in deeper ways. To not be ruled by shame and fear, but to be to know, be, be known. See, that's the power of this covering that God provides for us in Jesus. It frees us to get rid of our fig leaves, right? It frees us to get rid of the things that we hide behind and instead to be clothed in his amazing love. See, God is calling you and me to stop hiding and to start living in the fullness of his love, knowing others and being known by them. He invites us to experience the freedom and the joy of genuine community. And he's provided the way for that to happen through his amazing son, Jesus. He's provided the way for that to happen. Let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, we, we invite you to, to speak. We know you've been speaking to us in this message, but we want to pray right now you'd bring it home. And I want us to begin here in this prayer time just with this question. Just ask the Holy Spirit in the quiet of your heart, where, where, where are my fig leaves? Holy Spirit, where am I hiding from other people? Where am I hiding behind a false self. So just ask the Lord that and let him speak to you. Lord, we acknowledge so often at work or in relationships, we hide. We hide behind our intelligence. We want to look really smart. We hide behind our appearance. We're so consumed about what we look like. We hide behind our busyness. We, we, we hide behind these things. And we just, we, we admit that. 
these fig leaves we hide behind, just these false selves we're putting out there. And I want us to ask a deeper question here. When we talk, okay, these are things we hide behind. Now here's, here's another question. What are we afraid of? Why are we hiding? We're afraid of what other people think. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of all these things. They're legitimate things to be afraid of. But, but here's the incredible news. Perfect love casts out fear. So Jesus, I thank you that you have covered our shame. We are clothed in righteousness. If we placed our trust in you, we are clothed in righteousness. We, we are clothed in your love. And so I want to pray that. I want to pray that for anyone here, for everyone here who has placed their trust in you. They would know, we would know in a deeper way this reality of we, we don't have to live in shame. We are clothed in your love permanently. God, you, you, God the Father, you sacrificed your son Jesus to clothe us. It's permanent. We don't, we don't need fig leaves anymore. Thank you for a perfect sacrifice like Jesus to clothe us in love. And I want to pray too, Lord, that you would expose any lies we're believing. Maybe that story I told about Raylene and I just, there are others, you know, some of us here are just recognizing, man, I've been believing a lie that's keeping me hiding in my shame. I believe a lie that no one would really want to know me. And so I'm not going to trust other people. I'm not going to share because I don't really think people know. Whatever the lie is, Lord, I just pray you would open our, our eyes and our minds to that to see what the lie is that we're believing that's at the root of these, this fear and shame. And then we, we just want to bring that to you, Lord. Whatever that lie is, we bring it to the cross and we renounce it. And we acknowledge that we are hidden with Christ in God. We are beloved. We are clothed in your righteousness and in your love. So I want to pray for each one of us to walk in that more fully. And I want to pray that we would walk in it more fully in our relationships, in our small groups, in our e-groups, maybe in our marriage. If we're married, in our friendships, we would walk more deeply into this and maybe into a group where we've been a part of for a while and we're really not at level four, that we'd have the courage to go to level four. Because often disclosure begets disclosure. Once one person kind of breaks the ice, then other people feel a freedom. And so I just pray that for our groups, our e-groups. I pray that for our relationships, that there would be deeper levels of engagement and being known. And that we would have, each one of us would have the courage to go there with our spouse, with our, our e-group. We'd have the courage to go deeper. So we love you. Thank you for what you went through, Jesus, to enable us to experience genuine community. Wow, thank you. You were amazing. We're so grateful for your love so that we're no longer slaves to fear. We are enveloped and we are clothed in your love. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So God, thank you too for this opportunity we have right now to celebrate this in worship, to celebrate and to praise you for these realities. And I pray for us as we're singing these songs in response to this message that these truths would go deeper in our hearts of your incredible love for us and in our experience, God. 
So thank you, thank you. Why don't we stand as the worship team leads us? If at some point you want to sit on, that's totally cool. But let's begin standing. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Jesus, set us free to worship you. We love you, God. We love you.